Today, we'll be looking at a new series. Um, as you know, uh, we'll be looking at community uh, and what the Bible uh, says about community life at church for the past four weeks. And today, we'll be starting a new series on Revelation. Um, ooh, scary. Uh, <laughs> Um, and today uh, will be an introduction to Revelation, uh, and for the next seven weeks, we'll be looking at the churches in Revelation. Um, we'll be looking at the, chapter, uh, the first chapter today, and because it's quite long, um, I've asked two of my good friends to help me with that, uh, so to, uh, for the reading of the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 1. It's great, quite a lot of people have Bibles. And I can hear the pages being turned. This is the sort of church you want to be part of. <laughs> Amazing. So, Revelation chapter 1, and it's the whole chapter. Listen to the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads uh, the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, which is written in it, because the time is near. From John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace from you to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance as are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Samarina, Pabmeginogon, I'm not going to try and say that one, and then Sardos, Philadelphia, and Lysida. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstand, and in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long rope and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as, I, as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am 
life forevermore, and I have, I have the keys of death and hate. Write therefore the things that you, you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. After for, the, after for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstand, the seven stars are like are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Thanks very much. This is the word of God. Uh, I love it when young people are passionate for God, when they're in love with Jesus. Um, so if you see them, encourage them, please. Pray for them, keep praying for them. Not only the ones in your family, biological family, but the ones in our family. So please keep praying and encouraging for them. I think what we just read could be just enough for today <laughs> and tomorrow and for the days to come. Isn't that amazing? The whole chapter itself is self-explanatory. Uh, sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes with Revelation you think, oh, I shouldn't go anywhere near it. But we heard great truth about God. The Alpha and Omega. The ruler, the king, the beginning and the end. And these are, by the way, the names of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one that we've been worshipping and singing about. So, a bit of background and context on Revelation. Um, you've probably heard me saying before that I'm not really a big fan of saying, oh, I'm a Christian and I belong to this particular group and this group and this. And when it comes to this particular thing, yeah, I'm part of that. Uh, you're either a Christian or you're not. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you believe in him as anything else, then you're not really believing in the true Jesus that the Bible talks about. So you're either a Christian or not. But the, Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, again, um, is a point where Christians try to uh, come and bring divisions and say, oh, I belong to this particular group, or no, I'm in that category. Um, it's the book that's been misunderstood on many grounds. It's a book where it talks about blessing at the beginning of it. Blessed is he who reads it and listens to it. Um, you don't see that in the other books of the Bible. doesn't necessarily mean it's not the case, but I believe that's the case with everywhere in the Bible. But this is a book that particularly talks about being blessed. So if you read it or if you hear it, you are blessed. And the writer very clearly says that this is a prophecy. Again, we read at the beginning and the end of it, that write the words of this prophecy. So we've got to bear in mind when we read the book. It can be a very happy ground for those who are interested in the end times. See people with a sign saying, you go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. Uh, I'm not encouraging that as a strategy for evangelism because um, I do believe that there is hell and I do believe... Um, in the Bible, uh, the Bible not only talks about hell, but the Bible is very strong on the grace of God as well. So if you want to go and evangelize amongst your friends, it might be good to start with the grace of God for them. It might be a good starting point to talk about the love of God, the love that made him suffer for us, as Raj said, this suffering God. Um, so it can be misunderstood and it can be taken into any direction, but uh, you can probably take it and... Um, make it mean what it doesn't mean really. It's apocalyptic. <laughs> One of those big words. It's in the language of symbol, uh, symbols. It symbolizes things. Um, in Greek it means it unveils things. 
Um, the language was well known to the Jews. Uh, you see, there's quite a lot of things that is particular to the culture um, of Jews or that part of the world. So this sort of language is, uh, was well known at the time, and it still is, kind of, uh, because um, people in that part of the world don't quite enjoy the same uh, political freedom as we do in here. So therefore, you'll have to come up with creative ways of doing things. You'll have to come up with creative ways of saying things in a way that you try to convey the meaning, but at the same time, you're not exposing yourself um, to danger. It reminded me um, of something that I saw very similar in this culture here. Um, it was only a couple of years ago that I saw something similar. Um, so, you know, in that part of the world, people try not to talk very clearly and directly about their political opinion. It was very similar in here when I came across parents who wanted to say sweet, but they didn't, and said S-W-E-E-T so that the children won't, won't know what they're talking about. So it's a kind of similar language. Um, Neil and Anne-Marie, we were around their house, and um, of course they were talking about going a walk, on a walk, but they kept saying W-A-L-K. And I thought, they probably know I'm not a big fan of walks, so they're trying to say that. <laughs> it wasn't me, it was their dog. <laughs> it was not so it's a kind of similar thing. Not to a great extent, but here. If you'd like to know Revelation, if you'd like to uh, be able to read it and understand it, then you need um, a good ground in the Old Testament. Old Testament is the other part of the Bible. Uh, some of us maybe not visit quite often, but um, quite a lot of Revelation is in direct quotes from uh, the Old Testament. So you'll probably hear that within the next few weeks or so, we'll be tapping into the Old Testament and trying to see, what the, uh, in, in light of the Old Testament, what Revelation means to us. Many verses um, in Revelation are uh, from other parts of the Scripture. And what you'll see is there's quite a couple of themes going on in Revelation. We'll be focusing on the seven churches and not the whole book. And it's not because we, don't, we think the rest of the book is not relevant. It is. But we just feel led by God that at this point, we've got to be looking at the seven churches. And we don't believe that the, seven, uh, the letters to the seven churches were for the seven churches at the time. And that's it. And that's finished. It's got relevant things to say to us. Um, in fact, it has many re relevant things to say to us. Um, and you know what? God speaks to his church. You can see that God is telling directly, is commanding John to write these and send them to the seven churches. So these are direct things that are coming from God, direct letters. Paul wrote many letters. Um, a couple of other apostles wrote letters to, the church, to different churches. But these are letters from Jesus himself directly. So if you want to hear God, then be part of a church. If you want to listen to the voice of God, then you need to be part of a church because Jesus does speak to his church. And he looks after his church. Quite a lot of different characteristics within different churches uh, in Revelation. Some have forgotten the first love. Uh, one is being persecuted. One um, is in a different state, has given in. One's trying to fight with the false prophets. So all sorts of things are going on in there. But Jesus knows everything, exactly everything that is going on in every church. And when looking at Revelation, we need to widen our perspective. Uh, I came across um, 
something the other day I saw one of the adverts, I think it was a Ford advert, saying unlearn, and I thought, hmm, what a good thing, because sometimes we have to unlearn the sort of things that we've had when we come to Revelation, just because they limit our view, they limit our perspective. So if you'd like to read Revelation for what it is and understand it, go in, take the whole book into account. Widen your perspective. Um, sometimes people get the book of Revelation, go into it, they're too close that they can't see anything else. They just see a bit of a detail and nothing else around it. It reminds me of um, a story. Let me tell you a story. You'll hear quite a lot of stories from me. Um, so uh, back home, uh, particularly when we were kids, uh, it, it's just a tradition. It's just a sort of life. Nobody really thinks about it. But, but whenever there's a holiday, more than two days, you're all at the grandparents, um, all of you, the whole family. Uh, so it's just something that nobody ever asks why. Um, so we, you do it. And of course, holidays are normally uh, about three weeks for the new year and three months for the summer. And it's, you, you, I, mean, I think we've got one of the best calendars in the whole world. When I came here first, I was shocked that there's only like between five and seven days holidays uh, in the calendar. So I tried to buy another calendar that had more <laughs> days off in it, but it didn't work. So. I remember that, of course, uh, we were close to our uh, grandparents, we were living close, uh, so as soon as we finished school and we knew we had three weeks off for the new year, we just went there knowing that we've got three weeks of doing anything we want and nobody will object to it because grandma is alright with it. Um, and then we were waiting for uncles and aunties to come from other cities as well. So one of my aunties had travelled with uh, her four kids from another city about eight hours away and then they got to, uh, to our city and then they took a taxi which takes about an hour or so to get to my grandma's house and I remember we were all eagerly waiting for them to come and there's like, this bunch of people outside the house waiting for the, my auntie to come and as soon as the taxi stopped my cousin who was around five years old or so said we got to Shiraz that's the city where we were living. So in his view, my grandma's house was Shiraz, not the whole city. So they were driving in it for about two hours and not, he didn't realize that he's in the actual city. But he only saw my grandmother's house and he thought, oh, this is the place, this is what it's called. So his view was really limited to my grandmother's house. So everything that he had, all his memories of the town, everything was, no, that's not. This is where Shiraz is. And of course, that's a bigger city than he could imagine. So some of us might be like that. We get to a point and we think, oh yes, that's it. But no, it's greater than you think. It's quite larger than you think. And the final message of Revelation is, you've probably heard it many, many times, that maybe someone, one of you wants to shout in two words. What's the final message? It's that Jesus wins. Indeed, Jesus wins, but quite how, sometimes people say that, but they don't quite know how to work it out, they don't quite know how the Bible says so. But because they've heard it, they think, yeah, it's true. And of course it is true, and I want you to take it on, and I want you to go and dig deep uh, into the Bible, and of course Revelation, to, to know that Jesus wins. Maybe his style is not quite similar to the world around us, because um, his victory came through his death, but... Hey, that's a great example. 
So that's the final message. Jesus wins. If you want to know what Revelation is all about, it's Jesus wins. However, there's quite more into that. Revelation is the book that clearly tells us, just like Joshua did. When he came towards the end of his service, he said, now you've got to choose for yourself who you're going to serve. Choose today if you want to be serving the Most High or if you want to be serving your idols or whatever else. Revelation is very clear. You've got to choose who you want to serve. You either serve God, the creator of the heavens and earth, you either serve God, the King of Kings, or you'll end up worshipping and serving someone or something else. You might not even notice it. You might not even agree that you are worshipping something else. But this is what the Bible says. You're either in or you're out. You're either with God or you're against Him. And I want to encourage you, if you're not in God, if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you don't know Him the way that the Bible talks about, then you need to know Him. I want to encourage you to ask Him to reveal Himself to you. I want to encourage you to get to know this King who died for us, this King who gave His life. No other king did that, and even if they did, it doesn't really matter, because they, they can't save themselves, never mind their people. With Jesus, it's different. He gave his life, he died, and he rose again, and as a result, he's made us into a family. I loved it when I asked Helen to come and read Revelation for me. I had to find an English Bible for her, because obviously she could read it in Tigrinia, but... For the benefit of all of us, we had to have it in English. And that tells me it's only Jesus who's made us into a family. It's Jesus who brings people from different nations, different languages, different tribes, and makes them into a family. Take a look around. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus has won already, and we are part of that victory. We, let's live in that victory, knowing that he has won the battle for us. So if you don't know him, please do get to know him. We'd like to help you with that. We'd love to get involved in it and uh, try to see how we can help you with it. We'd love to tell you all about him and the way that the Bible introduces Jesus to us. So if you'd like to know more, please do come and speak to us at the end. God is the center of Revelation. Just like the rest of the Bible, the book of Revelation puts God in the center. And as Christians, we've got to do that. As Christians, God has got to be the center. He must be the first priority. He must be above everything else. And through that, everything else will work. If your wife or your husband, if your children, if your car, if your house, or if anything else, your career, is on top, you're getting it wrong. It's Jesus who needs to be on the top priority. So if you feel that he is not there, then you're not giving him the place that he should really have. So consider giving him his rightful place. That's called repentance. You go before him and you tell him you're sorry that you haven't given him, given him the rightful place and that you are willing to allow him to take the rightful place. Seek the kingdom, Jesus said, and the rest will come. Worship. You hear quite a lot of worship. You hear people worshipping God in different settings. Sometimes it's loud. Worship is another thing going on in Revelation. And you know what? Because it's the appropriate response to God. What did John do when he saw Jesus? He fell. He fell down in worship. Because that's the only thing you can do when you go before God. That's the best response you can ever give. And you can see that running throughout Revelation. Because the presence of God comes and people worship Him. 
And I love it that one of the verses says that people from every tribe and nation and language are worshipping God and giving Him praises. You see, we've got a taste of heaven going on in here. Because we've got people from many different nations, many different languages, worshipping the King of Kings with unity in our hearts. And this is what Revelation is talking about. And of course, we're going to have that in a great scale when we see Him face to face, when our day has come to an end in here. Another thing is the Lamb. And, of course, <laughs> people who know me are laughing. This lamb is quite different from the lamb I love. <laughs> and, of course, I love this lamb in a different way. <laughs> because this lamb is without blemish. This lamb is, has been given this name because of a purpose. This lamb is also the lion. This lamb is the one who died on the cross. His blood was shed. He plays a key role. He has deity. He is divine. There is a spiritual war going on in Revelation and this lamb has an army. And of course, the opposition has an army as well, but it's a counterfeit. A theme that you see going on in Revelation. Satan tries to bring counterfeits. Satan sees the lamb and wants to bring counterfeit. There's a son, so I want a son as well. But you can't quite have that because you're not the creator. But I want to be the creator. And that's where it all goes wrong. Satan wanting something that is not his. That only belongs to one person. You can see a big contrast going on in there. And we as human beings have a responsibility. We've got to take part in this, either on God's side or against him. And I'm glad that many people in this room have made the right decision by going on Jesus' side. Because that's the right side. Doesn't necessarily mean things will be alright. Doesn't necessarily mean everything will be okay. As we'll read in the seven churches, there will be persecution, there will be suffering. But hey, it's well worth it. Look at the churches that are suffering um, at the moment. Quite a lot of the churches in the world, in many different countries, um, the most recent ones. Look at Syria and uh, Iraq. One of the most ancient Christian um, communities used to be in those two countries. Now almost there's nothing left of them. They're all spread out through, uh, through the world. They had to live. Some, many of them have been killed because of their faith. Many have had to flee. Many have had to leave their families behind. Many are in different parts of the world, not knowing what's going to happen next. They've lost everything. And they're not the only ones. But hey, is God in control? Amen. He holds the whole universe in his hands. Revelation is reminding us that no matter what's happening in the world, God is in control. Because sometimes as people, we human beings, we can panic. What's happening? This army is coming our way. Or this is happening. Or that is going on in that part of the world. And we start to panic. And out of that panic comes something that makes us not rely on God and rely on our own strength and wisdom. You see, Revelation is very clear on that. Revelation says that if you want to understand it, it requires wisdom. But in the other parts of the Bible, we also read that God makes the wisdom of the wise and turns it into foolishness. Because it doesn't quite work the way that we do. It doesn't quite work that way. 
You see, John introduced himself as a brother and somebody who is being persecuted along with the rest of his family. They could have said, I'm Apostle John, I am this and that, and these are my credentials. But he didn't rely on his credentials. He didn't rely on that. He was an apostle by the grace of God anyway. So it was because of God that he was an apostle. But he didn't take that. He didn't take that honor to introduce himself that way. But he sympathizes with the rest of the family that are being persecuted. The rest of the church. And this is what I love about this church. Many times I've heard people, particularly from uh, other nations, coming in and saying, Oh, we didn't know so-and-so is this. Or we didn't know... These people were the leaders, or we didn't know that these people had these sort of jobs. Or, wow, it's amazing, we didn't know that we'd be accepted this way. It's just like we're part of the family. And that tells me, we don't take our credentials and, as a badge of honor, but our only honor is that God died for us and we believe in Him. So keep on going, Jubilee. Keep shining for Jesus and when it comes to our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted and suffering, suffering for the name of Christ, keep receiving them, keep taking them in as you have already with many of us in here. Some of us have had to run away, escape because of the name of Jesus that was on us and you're doing what the Bible has called you to do. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it, even if the world says, oh, there's too many refugees coming our way, or no, there's too many of them, we can't really cope with it, oh, we've got to do this and to do that. The Bible says something different. God is in control. Do not panic. Rely on God. Keep your faith in Him and Him alone. Have faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that He is in control. He's all sovereign. He is above all, and He knows what He's doing. So if we have God, then who can be against us? And if we have Him, then why should we panic? If we have Him, then why should we panic when a whole army of people are coming our way, not having anywhere to live, not having anything to wear, not having anything to eat? What do we do? We offer them what we have. Because we know God's in control. Satan tries to counterfeit. God is the real deal. Remember that. When you read Revelation, don't be preoccupied with what's in there. Um, Poitras very helpfully gives us a very good advice. He says, cheer for the saints as you read the Revelation. Cheer for the saints. Be on your guard for God. Look at what he's doing. Detest the beast. And long for the final victory. So when you read Revelation, cheer for the saints. As we are cheering for God in here, as the saints bring him worship and prayer, cheer for them. When you read the book, Enjoy it as you read it. Don't be preoccupied with the things that you've heard before. Oh, the day is, is coming, the world is coming to an end, and Jesus is going to appear, and you're going to go to hell. No. We're all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus very clearly said, nobody knows when the hour is coming, only the Father does. So, don't get preoccupied with numbers in there. Know that God's in control. He knows what he's doing. So the letters, they've got something similar going on in all of them. There's uh, a few things, uh, a few points. All the churches in there are in today's day Turkey. Um, it's in next slide. Um, Sandra <laughs> has my comprehensive notes. <laughs> That's why she was able to go. No, she doesn't. <laughs> um, in today's day Turkey, um, in Asia Minor, as it was called then, um, all the seven churches are there in Western Turkey. Um, 
some of you might have visited some of the cities. I've been to two of them, I think. And it's the nation where our very own Akin comes from. I don't know whether he's around. Um, he's in youth, so he's out. Um, he had his pink shirt on, and as soon as he saw me, he said, a wise man once said, only real men can wear pink. And I said, you don't need to tell me that. I mean, I'm all in, man. So, <laughs> I think he's heard it from Mavash. <laughs> so, so this is where our king comes from. Seven churches in Revelation, and of course, more churches at the time in the nation. Why seven churches? Because God said so. <laughs> because God said right to these seven churches. But of course, there's something else as well. But what we see now is that this nation unfortunately has very little numbers of Christians in that. And of course it's growing and we give God all the honor and praise and we are playing a part in that. So we are playing a part in the history by supporting our brothers and sisters there in our prayers, in whatever we do, we are supporting the work of God in that nation. And I'm hoping for a restoration of this nation to this point and even further. We don't only want the seven churches in the West and a few other churches, we want the whole nation to be praising God. But this is what has happened. There were seven churches in that nation in the West that God said to Apostle John, write to them, and now none of them are there. There's quite a lot of reasons, and we can go into quite a lot of details, but I think uh, we haven't got time for that, so we're going to move, and move on. Um, this is revelation. It's not something that is being hidden. This is revelation. God is revealing truth to us. God's not hiding it. Um, and God doesn't intend to tickle our fancy, but it's for the strength of our heart. Because God is trying to tell the churches of what's going to happen. What is happening already? I know what's happening. What's going to happen? But why do we need to know that? So that we can get ready. So God's speaking to the churches saying, this is what's going to take place. And this is what I want you to do. There's com commendations for the churches, except one, I think. Um, there's criticism for a church, for churches, again, except for one, the one that is suffering, but still hung on to the word of God. Jesus says, don't worry. Uh, he, he has nothing against that church, but he just says, keep on, and I will look after you. Hold on where you are. Keep your faith. You're doing well. You think you're being persecuted? Don't worry. I'm there. I'm all for you. So just hang on there. Does that speak to some of us today? You feel you're suffering? You feel as a church we are suffering? Then the word of God says, hang on. Some of you feel personally you are suffering in your lives for whatever reason, whether it's financially, whether it's loss of family members, whatever it is. You think you are suffering? Jesus says he knows, but hang on. Have faith in him. The Roman soldiers, um, Roman authorities, were encouraging people at the time to worship uh, the emperor. Jesus is very clear. Worship me alone. He's very clear to the churches. He was in an, uh, John was in an island called Patmos when he was writing the letters, <clears throat> and some commentators said that the order of the churches are in a way where the person who was taking the letters to the churches could have gone easily around, Maybe God was making things easier for him, or maybe it's just an idea that, yeah, he could have started with Ephesus going all the way and then coming back down. Um, that's just a point, but what's important to know is that God knows what's going on in the churches. 
God is encouraging us to, be, to have patience and to endure. God's encouraging us to remain faithful. And God's encouraging us to know the final victory. And God is encouraging us to take part in that. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our strength in this battle. Some of the churches have been compliant with the culture around them. Unfortunately, we see that today, even in this nation, that some have given in. Some have given in to the culture around. Some have given in to the pressure and political things going on around. What does Jesus say? Get back to where you were. (laughs) The church is about loving me, about giving me honor and worship and praise. It's not about being in line with the culture around. Even if it seems hard, even if it's difficult, don't. Jesus never promised things, everything will be alright at this age. He did say that persecution will come. He did say that things will be difficult. Jesus addresses the churches personally. What's interesting is that for the seven churches, for none of them, he says, I'm Jesus Christ. He uses a title for himself. And the title is divine and usually some of the things that have been used for God, even in the Old Testament. So, for some people who think that it's only the Gospel of John that has been corrupted and talks about Jesus' deity, there we are, Jesus himself uh, declaring himself as deity. He says, I'm God. But he's using other words for it. He gives himself titles, identifies himself. He approves of some of the things that, uh, that are going well in the church. I want to encourage you, to, when you pray for Jubilee, Think of the things that are going well and according to the will of God. And pray into them and ask God for encouragement in those areas. There's also evaluation going on. It's in the next slide. Um, Again, my comprehensive notes. Very helpful. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So when you pray for Jubilee, it's not just about that everything is going on. What's important is that our hearts are set towards Him and of course, we're never going to be perfect until he returns. So why try? No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. But we're not going to be perfect. However, we need to be careful. However, we need to make sure that we're in line with God at all times. So please do pray for, for us, for Jubilee, and particularly for the leadership team, so that the vision is in line with God, that God is in everything that we do, that God is going before us, that God is the main and the center point of our lives. He also gives promise, and in some cases he gives threat. God has given us many promises, and he will bring them uh, through at the right time. Some of us might lose patience and see, say, oh, God has promised this, but I don't know whether he's going to do that or not. Come on, in the Old Testament, people sometimes had to wait 10 years or so, and then it says, and suddenly God did this. It wasn't suddenly. People waited in faith for 10 years, sometimes for even more. So if God has given you promises individually or for the church, corporately as a body, wait patiently in faith. God never lies. He gives promises and he fulfills them. So if he has given you particularly individual promises, then hang on to them and have faith. And then suddenly... He'll bring them through when you're probably not expecting them. But I find that word suddenly a bit amusing because it says many years and then suddenly. So know that God's in control. We can see 
that at the beginning of Revelation, the cries are, how long? How long? The saints are, the martyrs are saying, how long God? But then you see, as they hang on, and as God speaks to them, and as they receive instruction and do what God's told them, then at the end, it's not how long anymore. It's hallelujah. So how long turns to become hallelujah? And that's what it is with us. Probably at some point in our lives, it was, oh, how long? How long? With everything, how long? God wants to turn that to hallelujah now because that's the attitude of a Christian because we know the end already we know the end it's probably the only book of history not probably, definitely <laughs> that tells us the history and also tells us what's going to happen <laughs> and it's not estimate prediction it's the whole truth no other book of history can tell you what's going to happen in the years to come precisely so know that you can say hallelujah instead of how long, now. You don't have to wait to go see him face to face to do that. Grace causes us to say that. We have received it from him. And I think it's time for us to respond. How do you respond to revelation? How do you respond to what you heard? Where do you put yourself in there? Are you suffering? You think you're doing really well? You think nothing is going really well? You think... Does God even going to fulfill his promises? You might be in some of these or you might not even be in, in anywhere near there. What's your response? There's only one response. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God who has won the battle for us already and has told us about it as well. Be expectant. Holy expectations. Um, when we were in leadership training um, one of the teachers uh, said your eschatology will affect your ecclesiology (laughs) and I wrote it down (laughs) in English that means if you know what's going to happen according to the word of God in the future then you will know how to live in the society (laughs) that's basically what it means So if we know that we are victorious, if we know that God has won the battle for us, then why worry? You might think, hey, it's easy saying that from the front and then that's it. No, live that life. Live your lives in a way that you know every day, day in, day out, that God has won the battle and you are victorious regardless of what the world tells you. Is that okay? Are we up for it? Yeah? Not sure? Are you up for it in every single aspect of your life? In your marriage? In your jobs? Careers? In your studies? Are you up for it? Because I can never understand a bitter Christian. Because if you are in God, you've been released from that. So why are you bitter? I can never understand Christians who lose hope, and of course, I'm not being judgmental, because I, sometimes I do, but when I'm not in that mood and I see people who have lost hope, I think to myself, why? And then God tells me, because they're human like you. you. You remember when you lost hope? Don't lose hope. Hang on. Are we up for it? Shall we pray and go before God? I think we need to go with the heart of repentance for the times that we haven't relied on him, for the times when the world has been a bit, oh, what do I do, I panic. We'll have to go before him and repent for our panics. 
and then ask him for his joy and ask him to come and show us what we need to do to come and open our eyes to the way that he has for us. So, should we, I'm not going to ask the band to come on. Uh, let's just take a few moments in prayer and then we'll have our collection uh, later on. It's part of our worship. Uh, if you're a guest, we're not after your money. Please feel free to pass the bucket. Um, you're more than welcome to give if you'd like to, but this is for, our, for the members um, and it's a way of our worship. But let's spend a few minutes in, before God in silence Let's go before him. Let's open our hearts to him. Go before him in repentance and know that suddenly, and that suddenly maybe in 10 or 20 years' time, he will come through.